What's going on, guys? My name is Ryan, and I have a few announcements for you. Next Saturday is Trunk or Treat, and I heard last year was so great. It was so amazing, and everybody had a great time. This year is going to be even better. We still need some more candy donations, so drop off your candy in the family lobby and register for a slot on our website. So we have a few open positions here at Fairfax that we're hiring for. Director of Fairfax Kids, Communications Assistant, and Housekeeping Staff. I started here in Maine. It's been really one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. It literally has changed my life forever. If you're interested in being a part of a great family and a great community and serving in ministry, apply on our website. Today, we're launching a new project called Set the Table, where we're restocking our resource center to help feed families and kids in need for the holiday season. If you're here in person, stop by the table in the lobby and pick up a bag. And if you're watching online, join us on our website. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Let's dive into today's message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fairfax Church. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors on staff and spend most of my time with our middle schoolers and uh, high schoolers. And um, last weekend uh, was an amazing weekend for us. We had this thing that we haven't done for a couple of years because of COVID. It's called Hangar 24, where we spend 24 hours with middle schoolers. Come sign up now. It is a blast. They are awesome. Our middle schoolers are awesome students. Um, not only do we have a blast and have a lot of fun, but they spent about three hours um, packing um, food baskets for Afghan refugees, um, sorting and cleaning all these toys for people in our community who don't have anything at Christmas. And so they did an awesome job. Will you give it up for our middle schoolers? They are, um, they are awesome. We love them. So um, we are continuing in this series that we've been in um, for a few weeks on the book of Exodus, this journey to freedom um, that we've been talking about. And we have reached a point in this journey where something pretty substantial happens. Okay, a lot has already happened, but something amazing and substantial happens. God says to Moses and to all the people, he literally walks up, he drops the mic, and walks off the stage and says, have a good trip, hope it goes well, hope it's everything you hope for, I'm out. <laughs> I'm gone, I hope it's good, I am not going with you anymore, it's over, I'm done, I'm out, hasta la vista, see ya. It's over, I'm out, okay? And this is a pretty amazing moment and the context really matters. Think about this for a second, okay? Think about all of the things that have happened up to this point for God to make this statement, okay? Where did we start? We started with Moses, right? He's the central figure, right? We started with Moses, and Moses is born, right? He's born a slave, but lives in freedom, right? He lives in privilege, which sort of sets the stage for God to be able to use him in an incredible way. He, he begins to understand who he is. And then what does Moses do? Well, he does a lot of interesting things, right? He kills someone. <laughs> he runs away, right? Um, he says to God, pick anybody but me. <laughs> There's so many more people that are more qualified than I am. Um, you should find someone else. I can't do this. And then eventually, he begins to live into what God had imagined for his life. And then what does God do? God brings these plagues 
He parts the Red Sea. He gives the people this blueprint for life, if you will, the Ten Commandments. He does all of these things, right? What do they do? They reject it, right? They build an idol. And what does Moses do? He smashes the Ten Commandments. And so we get to this point where all of these things have happened. God has set all of this into motion. It's big. A lot of things had to happen, things that people never thought would happen. And we get to this moment and God says, I've had enough. I'm out, good luck, so long. Now the whole purpose of Exodus is a rescue story, right? That's what it's all about, it's a rescue story. God is rescuing his people so that he can be with and among them, right? He's, he's setting the table so that there can be this place where he can dwell among his people and teach them and be with them and they can be with him. But when we get to this moment after all this time, has gone by, God simply looks at them and says, good luck, I'm sending you on. I'm gonna give you what I said I was gonna give you, but I'm not going anywhere near that. Good luck, so long. Now, I wanna start with this first section of scripture that we're gonna look at today. Um, We need to read it. We need to understand it, we need to look at it. So we're gonna look at it together. If you wanna open up one of the Bibles, you can. Exodus chapter 33. That's what we're gonna read, okay, one through 17. Um, Exodus 33, it's also gonna be on the screen, um, either on your Bible or you can read along with me. Um, But I want you to listen to it, I want you to read it, I want you to take it in and understand what happened here because think of all that's happened and how did we get to this moment, okay? So here's what it says. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this, these distressing words, (laughs) they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing above the in, standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. 
If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Okay, um, there's a lot here. There is so much that we can um, get into today. In this book, in chapter 33 and 34, which we'll get into as well, um, there's a lot, but um, we don't have time to do you know, really super long hours and hours. So I'm gonna try to, to narrow it down to three things today, three things that I think we can learn, we can take away um, and, and, and just know a little bit more about God um, by doing it. Okay, so here's the three things that we're gonna get into. The first one is this incredible statement that Moses makes where he says this, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. So we're gonna explore that. We're also gonna look at the idea that's found in these verses of intercessory prayer, okay? And then the last thing we're gonna talk about is um, how do you get your kid to eat his vegetables, okay? So that's coming up, it's in these scriptures, all right? So the, the question, you that's really the one that you wanna know the most, right? You're like, okay, we're gonna get to that one at the end, okay, because it's in here, right? Who knew that Moses talked about that? All right, first one, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here. If you're not going, God, don't send us. That's what Moses says. Okay, the first thing we see in these verses is Moses and God kind of going back and forth or having an argument on who these people are, right? Neither of them wanna claim them anymore. Okay, remember what's just happened. Moses is on the mountaintop. He's been gone too long. All the people go, oh, he's dead. Joshua, let's, let's make our own golden calf and worship that, right? So they're in the process of doing that when Moses comes back down the hill, right? And so God and Moses are arguing about who these people are. It actually began back in the previous chapter, the previous story, where, where God says this to Moses when he's on the hilltop. He says, go down, and he says, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. And then Moses, in verse 11, responds. He goes, Lord, he said, why should, you, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? God's like, did you bring these people? And Moses is like, I thought you brought them. You, they're your people. And Moses is like, I don't know. I've never even seen them before. I didn't even know they were behind me. I was just walking along through the desert. Who are these people? God's like, they're your people. Moses is like, nope, they're your people. And they're going back and forth. No one wants them. No one wants them, right? Literally, no one wants to associate with them. They had made the golden calf. They're worshiping it and they're violating the commandments of God. So God more or less disowns them and says, they are your people. Moses disowned them and said, God, they're your people. You're the one that brought them out of Egypt and all. So the Lord is beginning in chapter 33, the same conversation. 
They haven't resolved it yet. They're still going back and forth, right? And God says, hey, Moses, take your people and go. I'm gonna give you what I said I was gonna do, and I'm even gonna send an angel, but I'm not going anywhere near that. I am not going. God is still willing to give the Israelites the promised land and even send this angel with them, but he says, I'm not going. And this is an amazing and important moment. And it might be the first time, even though we've seen the people disobey, return and disobey and return and disobey so many times through this story. This, however, is a little different. This might be the first time that they understand something profound. And that is God's, God is saying to them, look, I am no longer going to be present with you. I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'm no longer going to be present in your life. And it shakes them to the core. It shakes them to the core. You know, scripture tells us that when, when they were in Egypt, right? All these people were in Egypt and they were in slavery and they had nothing. They were poor, they lived day to day, they didn't have anything, right? But when they were taken out of Egypt, when God did all of these things, went to these great lengths to get them out, he not only got them out, but he gave them presents. He gave them gold and silver and all these jewels to wear. They would wear them when they were in God's presence, right? They would put those on when Moses went to talk to God. They would wear these gifts from God. And we're told that the very first thing they do when God makes this pronouncement, they understand the, the profoundness of it. They take up all these gifts off. They're like, it's, it's, it's a physical way of going, well, wait a minute. God's presence is no longer with us. We can't wear these things because he's not here. He has moved on from them. Right? And Moses understands this consequence and the people understand what's happening here. And imagine this moment, okay? God has done these amazing things all along the way. And pretty much all along the way, they have disobeyed. All the people know that this is really bad. They know that this, something has changed. They've been disobedient before and God's taken them back. They were disobedient again and God said, I'm walking away. And Moses knows the gravity of this moment. The very first thing he does, all right, he makes a beeline to this tent of meeting where he talks, we're told, face to face with the Lord Almighty as if they were talking as a friendship. So he goes to this spot where he's talking to God, right? He goes out to this tent of meeting. Um, the people don't leave the entrances of their tents. They just stand there without their ornaments on because they're scared. They're afraid. They don't know what's going to happen. They've just worshiped this golden calf, done exactly what God told them not to do, and they've reached this major turning point. Maybe for the first time, Moses and the people realize worshiping the idea of God without the presence of God is empty. Worshiping the idea of God without the presence of God is empty. You know, it's, it's one thing to sort of say, well, I have this idea of who God is and you know, I'm gonna kinda try to follow that and um, I'm gonna kinda try to worship that, but it's really empty, right? Because there's no give and take, there's no, there's no, there's no way to understand that he's with you. When he's not with you and you're trying to worship him, it's an empty feeling. 
And this is the feeling that they're praying and feeling in for the first time. And then Moses says this. He says something incredible. He's in this tent. He's trying to figure out, what do I do now? I, he doesn't want to go into this promised land with all of these people without God leading the way. He knows what's gonna happen with that. It's going to go really poorly, right? And so he begins to beseech God literally, right? He's in there and he says something amazing. He says this phrase. If you're not there, God, I don't wanna be there. If you're not going with us, don't send us. If you're not there, I don't want to be there. Just leave us here. It'd be better just to stay here than to send us on further to some place that you're not going to be. And it seems that that's what God wanted to hear, right? Because God's response is, my presence will go with you says this to Moses, I will give you rest. Now, I was reading and studying this a lot this week, and a couple of things that I came across that I wanted to share with you. There's one Bible scholar that says this, said, what made the Israelites special? Okay, what made them special? It wasn't their money, okay? When they left Egypt, they didn't have any money. They were slaves, okay? It's not their powerful and enormous army. They didn't have that either. Right? They didn't have that either. It wasn't even their goodness. You know, we see time and time again as we go through this study of this chapter that they weren't that good. <laughs> they weren't that great. They worshiped idols, right? So it wasn't that that made them special. What made them special was God's presence with them. God's presence with them is what made them special. Nothing that they had, nothing that they did, no behavior that they exhibited, nothing that they could do on their own or give to God that they had made them special. It simply was that God chose them and he was a presence in their life. That's what made them special. Only God's presence with them makes them special. And finally, maybe after God drops this bomb and says, I'm out, they begin to understand that, and it soaks over them. Think about this. Isn't it true? None of us, <laughs> probably all of us as we live our lives trying to follow God, there are these times, maybe it's constant for you, or maybe it gets accelerated by things that are happening in your individual lives. But there is this desire for us to know God more and to help other people know him. But we can't do any of that, right? We can't do any of that if we're not following him, right? Um, can any of us lead anyone else toward the person of God if we're not influenced and directed by him? No. <laughs> can we follow his plans? No, if we're not directed by him. There's a pastor, his name is Jonathan Romig, and he says this, he goes, of what use are all the means of grace if not crowned by the presence and blessing of God. What, what use are all the means of grace if not crowned by the presence and blessing of God? And he points out there's this verse that maybe you've used. I've used this verse so many times um, to try to bring comfort to people when I've sat with them or prayed through things um, and we've talked about some things and I've used this verse so many times, but he says when we understand this verse and this context that we've been talking about, it really comes to life. And here's the verse. It says, for where two or three gather in my name, 
there I am with them. Think about that for a second, you know? When, when, we're, when we're praying with somebody or someone's praying with us and we're told that, you know, when we gather, you know, when we gather in his name, here we are, we're praying to God that he's with us. And, and maybe that, I mean, we just, this is sort of kind of a concept that sort of rushes by us a little bit. You know, it sounds kind of nice. Oh, that's great. We're sitting together and we're praying and God's with us, right? The, the other chair is occupied by God. But when you think about this idea where God says, look, <laughs> everything's about my presence, Everything is about my presence with you. Everything you do, everything you pray, everything you work at that is void of my presence is just worthless because it's all about my presence with you. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. And and this is really, for Moses, the ultimate act of obedience where he's like, God, I finally get it. If you're not going, I don't wanna go. If you're not with me, I don't wanna go there. The presence of God finally hits them in a new way. And this moment between God and Moses and and what we learn about God and us leads us into this second thing that I wanna spend some time talking about this morning. And that's this idea of the power of intercessory prayer, okay? So what what is intercessory prayer? Prayer, okay? It's really not complicated. Here's what it is. Intercessory prayer is the act of praying on behalf of others, okay? We see Moses praying on the behalf himself and others in this thing, okay? Intercession and prayer um, that pleads with God for your needs and the needs of others. It's also a little more than that, right? Intercession involves, it's, it's trying to reach in and take hold of the will of God, feel like we have a grasp on it, and then never letting go, no matter what comes after us, no matter what happens in life, no matter what tries to tear us from that. It's the idea of hanging on to that will of God and praying and praying and praying. It's seeking God's will until we find it. It's, it's never letting go of that. Intercessory prayer. Now, um, if you look at what happened with Moses, here's what happens, right? Moses is in this tent and he's talking to God, right? And he says this to, uh, to God says this to Moses, um, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But actually God is using the, the, the you, the singular here. He's like, Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you <laughs> Rest. I like you, Moses. You're all right. You know, I like you. You've done pretty much what I've asked you to do here. Um, and I like you, so I'm gonna send you up there. It's good, okay? Moses, at great risk and personal cost, responds. And he says, if your presence does not go with us, <laughs> don't send us up from here. And then he says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Moses, Moses offers this intercessory prayer, prayer for him and all those he's with, saying, look, Lord, I'm, I, I'm offering this prayer up to you. Now, if you go home today and you read about intercessory prayer or you spend some time this week looking into that, you're gonna find all kinds of things about 
what's a true intercessory prayer? What does it have to include? Or what does it really mean? And, and, and there's lots of ideas, okay? Um, lots of things out there. But the one that I wanna share with you today, I think is um, pretty amazing and, and gives us some elements, right? So if you're a note taker and you're like, I wanna make sure that my prayers follow intercession, intercessory prayer, here's a good outline, all right? So first we have to look at a scripture that gives us the model. It's incredible what we find in the scripture. And then we'll talk about the points and the elements of a good intercessory prayer, right? So we're gonna turn again to another section of scripture in the book of Daniel. Okay, it's chapter nine. Again, if you are, uh, wanna grab a Bible and look at that, you can. I'm also gonna put it up here on the screen. Okay, so this is a, um, what a lot of scholars would agree is like maybe the ultimate intercessory prayer, okay? And so here's, here's the elements of it, all right? We're gonna read it, and then I'll tell you a few things about it. So here's what it says. It says, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. That's gonna be important, all right? Understood from the scriptures. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him, that's gonna be important, in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord your God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God and kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out onto us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us on great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all the disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring this disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the inequities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, forgive, Lord, hear, the, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Okay, there's so much there again, a lot. Here's a couple of things though that are crucial, 
all right? That um, help us understand whether we've crafted a good <laughs> intercessory prayer, whether we're praying an intercessory prayer for those around us, okay? The first thing is this. Um, intercessory prayer is in response to the word, okay? In verse two, it says, um, Lord, it says, uh, Daniel understood from the scriptures. When, when we read the scriptures, okay, when we come across whatever we're going to read, whether it's the Exodus, whether it's Genesis, whether it's New Testament, whatever it is, we're supposed to, it's supposed to penetrate us and to move us and to push us forward, to, to have us do something with it, right? It's like it, it convicts us, literally. And, and this part, that's part of a good intercessory prayer. It's that we've understood Right, the word says, and so we start with that. You know, God, I'm praying today because you call on me to do that. And then it goes on to this. It says it's a good intercessory prayer is characterized by fervency and self denial. Verses three and four. You know, we see um, we see Daniel saying, "So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him." Right. When you think about what we're trying to do here, which is to grab the will of God and hang on to it and never let go. It doesn't call for a loose grip. It doesn't call for an every once in a while prayer. You know, fervent, <laughs> constant, specific. All of those things that God wants us to do to hang on to the will, all right? And then it says, identified unselfishly with God's people. So if you notice what Daniel does here, and this is so easy, um, in my prayer life recently, I've had this situation where um, I'm praying for something for myself, and then um, God has opened up a lot of prayers from other people around me that I know well to give me those prayers and to pray for them. And you know, every time you find out about someone's situation, or they ask you for prayer, or you just feel compelled to pray for them, um, as a human being, you look at their situation sometimes and you go, well, duh, <laughs> of course that's happening to you, bonehead. You know, it's it sort of judgy. It feels, I, I, I want to, I feel judgy sometimes when I look at people's situation. I go, well, yeah, no wonder I need to pray for this for you. You know, right? Daniel does the opposite. He enters into people's stuff. He keeps saying, we, we, we have sinned against you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors have covered with shame. He enters into people's pain and lays it on him and them and brings it to God. He, he, he connects. <laughs> he, he enters into it in a different way where he, he brings it to him, not setting himself aside going, God, I've been appointed to pray for all of these people. <laughs> you know, he enters into them. He goes, I'm the same. I'm, I'm in the same spot. I'm a sinner too. I'm in there and I'm bringing all of this to you, God. He's entering into that. And then it gets into this whole section, verses five to 15, where it's so important, where the prayer needs to be strengthened by confession. We hear Daniel over and over going, God, I understand where we blew it. Here's what we did. Here's what we did. I'm confessing this. I get it, right? And then Daniel turns another corner in several verses where he's talking about how he's dependent on God's character. See, when, if you're like me and you pray or something's going on in your life or you're seeing what's going on in someone else's life um, and it feels heavy in your situation or their situation or whatever, it's really easy when we're in the middle of that battle and we're feeling nervous um, or scared 
about where we're at and what's happening with us that we begin to focus in on the characteristics of God that, that make us feel worse, if you will. We, we go, well, God's, you know, look what God says about me here. You know, he says I'm a sinner. He says I've failed. You know, it, it's convicting, and we begin to focus in on the harsh things that we sometimes see in God's character, right? And we focus in on those things, and we begin to be like, oh, boy, no wonder I'm in this situation. I'm never gonna get out of this. Why would God even wanna rescue me from this? I'm, you know, I'm not that great. And we focus in on that. And, and certainly Daniel acknowledges this, right? But he also focuses in on other things, on the, the loving and caring character of God in the prayer. You know, he, he calls out thing after thing about who God is, not only the things that um, are difficult, but the things that are good. And then at the end, the goal of the prayer, an intercessory prayer, always is that it's for God's glory. The goal has to be God's glory. I know for me, especially lately as I've prayed for some things, I know what I want. <laughs> I know exactly what I want. I know what I want it to be and what would be great for me and where the end would be what I was hoping for. But I've been convicted by that to instead pray for whatever is gonna bring God glory in that. Does that mean it has to be bad for me? No. Does it mean it's going to be what I want? Not exactly or not necessarily. But if it brings glory to God, then I'm within where he wants me to be. I've stayed in his presence instead of stepped outside of that presence. I don't wanna step outside the presence. If I'm outside the presence, where am I? I wanna stay within the presence, even walking through hard stuff. Like Daniel, you know, we're supposed to come to God on behalf of others, you know, kind of in a heartbreaking and repentant attitude, recognizing, you know, our own unworthiness and with a sense of self-denial, right? Moses, <laughs> Moses did that. He was a mediator for the people, okay? Of course, our mediator is the person of Jesus Christ. He is our mediator today. He's this go-between between us and God, right? First Timothy 2.5 says this. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Without God's presence, we're lost. But because we're sinners, we're also lost if we don't acknowledge his presence and, and let him intervene for us. You know, God's like, Israel, I cannot go with you because I'm so holy and you're not. And I will destroy you because I can't be around that. I can't, I can't do that, right? Moses, even in all of his goodness, couldn't be in the complete glory of God. If you read through 33 and 34 that we're dealing with today, there's this moment um, where Moses is like, God, show me your glory. You know, they've, they've come to this this moment again where they were talking through this and God's like, I'm gonna go with you, Moses, because you're so good. Um, I'm gonna fulfill this and I'm still gonna go. 
And, and Moses' response is, God, you're so amazing. I want to know more of you, more of your presence. Show me your glory. You know that song we sing? Show me your glory. I'm not a singer. Okay, um, that wasn't bad, right? That was okay, right? That was almost on pitch. Okay, woo, American Idol. Okay, um, you know, he's singing, right? He's like, God, show me your glory. And God's like, I'll show you. But Moses, I'm so holy, you're so not that it'll kill you. And we're told that Moses gets to see the glory of God in, in the fashion that he can. There's a rock that intercedes and shields so that Moses can live but experience the presence of the holy God. Jesus is the shield and the rock that we get to experience to understand and, and be part of the presence of the holy God. We get to, we get to commune with Christ to be with the Father and to bring our prayers and petitions for him, to him, from us, for ourselves and for others. Like Moses, Jesus is this selfless mediator. He laid down his life on the cross to save us. He took on the brunt of sin to rescue us. He closed the gap between us and God when he died on that cross. Final thing that I think we can learn from these scriptures today, it's probably the burning question of your life, how do you get your kids to eat their vegetables? It's in here, trust me, okay? Here we go. Um, when God initially made this covenant, right, with Israel, he wrote down these 10 commandments on the two stone tablets, right? And when Israel worshiped the golden calf, Right when he issued, <laughs> Moses has these and he just breaks them. Right, the first two they're just broken, and it's the one of the first commandments is don't have any other, don't have these idols. Right, and Moses sees us going down and he breaks them. He throws down the tablets. They smash because Israel has broken the covenant. God has said, "Here's what I have for you: this blueprint for life, these ten commandments." They said, nah, "We're not interested." <laughs> Immediately, so Moses just breaks them. Throws them down, takes it away. Time goes by. Beginning of chapter 34, God asked Moses to bring two new stone tablets. Same thing. Bring those stone tablets up, Moses. I'm gonna make them again. Even though Israel is unfaithful, I'm going to make them again. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. <laughs> God doesn't have a sense of humor. Thank you. Notice this. I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. God didn't say, hey, you don't want to eat your vegetables? Here you go. Here's a plate of Oreos. Double stuff. I got it. I understand. You don't want to eat those? Here you go. No. You know what he did? He said, I've got this blueprint for life, Israel. Here you go. I got these 10 commandments. They say, nope. Okay. Next time it comes around to that conversation, he lays before them the same plate. Now, <laughs> I understand. I'm a parent too, that you keep laying that plate down and the kids keep pushing it back, right? But I doubt that any of you in here as parents take away the plate put down the plate of Oreos and slide it back and forget about the vegetables. You're giving them, 
You're giving them the vegetables because <laughs> you're trying to teach them something about life. You're trying to say, this is what you need <laughs> to live a healthy, have a healthy body, be a healthy person, all this kind of stuff, right? You're, you're, doing, you're giving them what they need because you love them <laughs> and you want them to grow up to be strong and to move forward. And in the same way where God offers the 10 commandments of chapter 32 that get broken, he offers the same ones in chapter 33 and says, let's try this again. (laughs) Here you go. The difference, the little bit of difference, and the thing that God's hoping for, Moses gets it, the people, the difference is that they now understand that they need it and they want it. They're so terrified by the idea of no presence of God that they begin to listen maybe a little bit more closely, maybe a little bit differently. So when God lays the same thing down again, it's different this time. So the next time your kid won't eat his or her vegetables, you have two choices, announced, this, you announce, you go, you are a stiff-necked people. I am about to destroy you. (laughs) Now that might work. (laughs) Or (laughs) when they throw the vegetable plate across the room, (laughs) you you take it away and go, you're a stiff-necked people. And you bring it back the next time. See, what God has for us is what we need. (laughs) He doesn't change it because we complain about it. (laughs) He knows us. He's got a plan for our lives. It's dialed in, and we follow it. We live the best life possible because he made us, and he gives us the plan when we follow it. There's this moment when all of this has gone down, (laughs) and God has promised to keep going with them, and they seem to kind of get it again. And, and God, Moses is like, show me your glory, God. Show me something new. And here's what God says to Moses that we, we get to enjoy and understand about God. He, he passes in front of him, and it says this. It says, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, the reference here to the Lord, the Lord, would have been this understanding among um, the, the Israelites that this was Yahweh and this word of, it was, it was almost unconscionable. Like, like, they can't quantify who he is. Yahweh is so big. We say it with such ease these days, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. But at the time, it would have been this, like, they, they, literally, they didn't even speak it very much. We don't even know, honestly, whether saying Yahweh is the right way to say it or if that's even the exact right word because God was seen in such reverence that they didn't even want to speak his name. Like, they didn't even say that. They couldn't even say the words. You know, God describes himself as Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, all these different things in the Bible, and they all mean little different things. But Yahweh was so big that they didn't even want to say it, right? But that's who they would have understood who was speaking to them. And he's saying, I'm compassionate and gracious. Remember how Moses asked God to look on his people. When when Yahweh, when God looks on our needs, he has compassion on us. 
God says, I'm slow to anger. And he's patient when he has every right to be angry with us. God says, I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. The word for love here means this loyal love. Not a fleeting love, but a loyal love. It's a special covenant love. It says, I love thousands and forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You know, God, God flows over his love for his people. He's quick to forgive, forgive our sinful hearts and our wrongdoing. And do not leave the guilty unpunished. God, God shows us that he is just. He is just. Promises to right every wrong. The difference is, what we see in these two stories from last week and this week is, how bad did they want it? What did they understand? When faced with the idea of no longer having the presence of God, that's what shook them up. I don't ever wanna get that far. Don't ever wanna step into that. Don't ever wanna be wondering, have I stepped into that? I wanna ask you if you'll pray something with me today before we close. I'm gonna say it a couple of times and I wanna have you repeat it with me. It's this phrase, all right? God, if you're not there, I don't wanna be there. All right, say it with me, ready? God, if you're not there, I don't wanna be there. One more time, God, if you're not there, yeah, amen? <laughs> amen. Let me pray for you guys and we're gonna finish up our time together. God, I'm so grateful for your word. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you've given us your mind so that we can make sense of our lives. And then if we'll, if we'll dig into it, if we'll spend some time with it, that we'll always understand that what, it's, what it really is about is us remaining in your presence. Or how can we do anything how can we take the next step? How can we move forward at all if we're not in your presence? Lord, never, let, let us never wonder whether we're there. Lord, as an as a individual people, as a congregation, as this community of believers, let us never wonder if that's where we're at. Lord, draw us close. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the person of Jesus that mediates for us. Let us, let us give thanks for that. Let us dwell on that. Let us remain in your presence. Lord, as we pray for ourselves and others, let us, let us pray the things that bring you glory. God, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are. Be with us as we go from this place. We lift all these things up and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we continue to worship together this morning?